are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. I'll be reading scripture for us today. We have two separate readings. The first is coming from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-6. through 6. Praise to God for a living hope. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And we'll move now into our second scripture reading will be coming from Psalm 86, verses 1 through 7. A prayer of David. Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord. For I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord. For I put my trust in you. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. Thanks, Ariane, for reading scripture for us. It's great to see you from a distance. Greetings to you and Peter and also to the Hill family. What a great tribute to Jeff. I will be saying his name out loud today and thanking God for your family. So great to spend this time collaboratively in worship together uh, on this Memorial Day weekend. It's our last Sunday, as we said, in our series on suffering in the Bible. And as I think back to these weeks, I just have been so personally blessed by our time in Scripture together, looking at Job, Habakkuk, Jesus the Suffering Servant, Mary, Jesus' mother, Then we were with the Apostle Paul last week, and now we finish it out with Peter. But in so many ways, I find these lessons are by no means finished. They're ongoing. And hopefully, we're just a little further along than where we were before. This morning, as you can see behind me, I'm in my little workshop in the garage. Uh, Amaya thought I was crazy to be out here when she knew she had to do the beginner's Bible reading here. But this is a place where projects happen, sometimes slowly, sometimes messy, very rarely with perfection. But this is a place where work does get done. It's a place where I can find my tools, or I should say I try to find my tools. Maybe you can relate to the question I'm often asking myself is, did I put that tool on my workbench, or is it in the utility room, or is it in the junk drawer in the kitchen? But wherever you keep them, you know the importance of having the right tool for the job. And I hope that our study of suffering in the Bible has given you a few tools that maybe you didn't have before, or maybe that you just forgotten or misplaced. Because one thing is for sure, you're going to need them. Sooner or later, you will be confronted with pain, suffering, and loss. That's the effect of sin, death, and evil set loose in this world. So the question is certainly not if you will wrestle with suffering in your life. It's a matter of 
how you'll fare when you do. And I have seen people who have walked through the valley of suffering and just struggle and slip and get stuck and overwhelmed. And I've also seen people who, though they are in the valley of suffering, have found a place to stand. We think about what the psalmist says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And there's a difference, isn't there? So the series is about done, but we're going to keep walking this out together. All of us are works in progress. As John Bunyan put it, this is a pilgrim's progress. And grappling with suffering will really only be finished when we step out of the shadows of this world and into the inheritance that is kept for us in heaven. That's when all of our questions will be answered and every wound will be healed and every eye dried from the tears that have fallen so freely on this earth. These past few weeks, as I think about them, uh, we have seen some of the fullness of God's word. You know, suffering is not something that you just solve. You don't solve the problem of pain, but you gather up tools. And I hope that's what you feel like we've done together. Every week, we've looked at a new character in the Bible, someone who's taught us something about faithfulness and affliction. And then we've paired their story each week with a few verses from the Psalms. And one of the things I hope that you will take from this series is the importance of regularly turning to the Psalms. And in times of trouble, frankly, it's often running to the Psalms. It's a place in the Bible that just gives us words to tell God what we're feeling and then to give us words to pray, both in praise and in pain. And often we find that actually in the very same psalm together. That's a pattern, too, that we have seen throughout these weeks in Scripture. Habakkuk, you think about what he wrote. He said, though the fig tree does not bud, yet I will rejoice in God my Savior. The Word of God is such a good place to go, such a good place to run to. Today we're finishing up with the Apostle Peter, and I'm reminded that he was the one who said in a very tough situation, he said to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So we're going to go learn from Peter today. I remember as a kid being up at my grandparents' cabin on East Battle Lake. And I distinctly remember having this conversation with my grandma Dixon, where we talked about who our favorite disciple in the Bible was. Now she passed away many, many years ago, but I still remember that question, probably because she seemed so genuinely interested in it and really genuinely interested in me, just a little kid. And so she told me that her favorite disciple was John. And then with kind of this twinkle in her eye, she, she wanted to know who was my favorite. And I remember telling her, Grandma, my favorite disciple is Peter. And I don't know what it was about Peter. Maybe it's because he didn't always think before speaking. <laughs> and I could relate to that, certainly. Uh, maybe it's because he was getting himself into trouble half the time. And I could relate to that, too. But what we certainly see in Peter is someone who was just an unpolished fisherman, and yet God used him in such a powerful way. So today, I get to show you my favorite disciple. We're going to approach this text a little bit differently than we normally would, kind of similar to last week with the Apostle Paul. So instead of working expositionally through the text, 
First Peter 1, those verses that we read. I'd like for us to look at the whole of Peter's life and really through that to see these lessons and principles about suffering that he writes about. You know, he didn't just write a letter about it. We are reminded that Peter was writing out of his very life. And that's really what I want to show you today. Another reason for this different approach is that we have actually marked out First Peter as our message series for the second half of summer. And so we will cover the passage in detail at that time together. And, and just in case you're curious, as a little preview of summer, we're really excited next week to start a new message series called A Double Portion on the stories of Elijah and Elisha. Then the second half of summer will be in First Peter. And then for the fall, the Gospel of Luke. So whatever happens with the coronavirus, we are going to spend time in God's Word And through that, we will have a place to stand. So for today, Peter, let's talk about Peter. He's not actually called Peter when the story starts. His name was Simon. Simon Bar-Jonah, he's called, which means Simon, son of Jonah. His family was a family of fishermen up in northern Israel in the region of Galilee along the Sea of Galilee. They set up shop in a city called Capernaum. That's where we find Simon and his brother Andrew, who are there casting their nets into the water, and Jesus comes along and calls them to follow him. They're literally fishing, casting those nets when Jesus walks up to them and says, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will send you out, he says, to fish for people. Mark 1.18 then says, very concise, says, at once they left their nets followed him. And in following Jesus, that's when Simon gets his new name, Peter or Cephas. The first is Greek. The second is Aramaic. And Aramaic was their home, kind of home language, uh, mother tongue. But both of those names, Peter and Cephas, mean rock. And that's the significant piece. That word will also come up again later in the story. So you can listen for the word rock. What's clear in the Gospels is that Peter emerges as the leader of the 12 disciples. And we often see him functioning as kind of the spokesman for the group. Now, it could have been that he was the oldest, and that's one of the reasons he came into that role. We're not sure. Uh, We do know that Peter was married, and Jesus later will heal Peter's mother-in-law when she's quite sick. Peter is also part of what's called the inner circle of disciples. And that was Peter... James and John, these these other two brothers, James and John. Peter, James, and John are called the inner circle. And it doesn't mean, mean that Jesus was playing favorites out of the 12 disciples. We simply see him engage these three in a different way and invest in their leadership in a different way than the others. So there's some key events where only the three of them are present with Jesus. The raising of Jairus's daughter, the Mount of Transfiguration, and then in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then, of course, we have a number of stories that feature Peter, and we see the highlights are high and the lowlights are pretty low. For better or worse, Peter was, he was a guy who was just always all in. He was all heart, full of bravado. You might call him brash. So when Jesus walks on water in Matthew 14, Peter hollers from the boat if he can join him. And Jesus says, Come, Peter. So Peter springs over the side of the boat, and he's walking on the water to Jesus, just as Jesus is walking on the water. 
But then he sees the, the wind and the waves around him and he gets afraid and, and he's starting to sink and crying out for help. And Jesus grabs him by the hand and says, pulls him up and says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So it's not one of Peter's best moments. But then just two chapters later in Matthew 16, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And around the circle of disciples, you know, they're, they're sharing ideas of what they've been hearing. Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But it's Peter, if you remember the story, who says, Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter is the one who says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And it's a huge moment in the Gospels. And that is when Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. Here's going to be this word again. And on this rock, I will build my church. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. So what a contrast to what would happen just a few verses later. You know, we just have this pinnacle moment in the Gospels with Peter's confession. But then Jesus begins to tell his disciples how he must suffer and die and on the third day be raised again. And Peter takes Jesus aside like a parent would take a child aside. And it says Peter rebuked him and said, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And what does Jesus say to Peter the rock? He says just these stinging lines, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Whew, I read that and just, oh, the ups and downs of Peter, you know. Uh, this is playing out differently than Peter had thought, and we're just going to continue to see him struggle from here on towards the cross. At the Last Supper, Jesus is telling his disciples that they will fall away and scatter from him. And Peter says, Lord, never you know, even if these other guys fall away, I would never leave you. And Jesus says to Peter, he says, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows three times, Peter, you will disown me. And Peter, hearing that from Jesus, he, he still won't accept it. And he goes on to argue him. He can't believe that that would be true. Well, then they come to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And who is it? who grabs the sword and lashes out at the party that's coming to arrest Jesus, it's Peter. And Peter takes a big swipe with the sword, and he gets a guy named Malchus, who's injured pretty badly. And Jesus just instantly puts a stop to it. He heals Malchus's injury, and he rebukes Peter, and he says, put away your sword. You think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put more than 12 legions of angels at my disposal? It's another uh, rebuke for Peter. And his night is really about to get worse because then it's in the courtyard that Peter is questioned while Jesus is inside. And Peter walks right into what Jesus said he would do. You know, the people around the fire in the courtyard are saying, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? Don't we recognize you? And he says, hey, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And a little while later, someone asks again, and this time Peter doubles down and he makes an oath. And he says, I promise you, I do not know the man. And finally, there's the third time when someone hears his accent. And he's from up north in Galilee. And, he's, and the person says, 
you know, surely you're one of Jesus' disciples. We can hear it. You're from Galilee. And that's when Peter just loses his cool completely. And it says in the text that he called down curses and he swore to them and said, I do not know the man. As soon as he says it, the rooster crows in the courtyard and Peter realizes what has just happened, what he's done. And he runs out and it says he wept bitterly. And I want to ask you if you have ever made some big mistakes that you really regretted. I think so many of us can relate to that. You know, things that then have have really followed you around in your life. They've hung over you like a dark cloud uh, where you think, man, that that was just such a blunder. That was just so bad on my part that you feel like you have permanently disappointed God and disqualified yourself from certain things. Peter knows that feeling. And he also knows that the grace of God is far greater than any sin or regret that could hang over your life. And you need to see that and learn that from Peter, his example. On Easter morning, after Jesus had died and been buried three days, who is it who runs to the tomb after hearing from the women that the tomb is empty? Which disciple is it? It's Peter. Of course it's Peter. He gets up and he takes off and and with him is John, Peter and John, uh, me and my grandma's two favorite disciples. And then who is it also after Easter when they see Jesus on the beach in John 21? Who is it who jumps out of the boat and swims to shore? It's Peter. The rest of the guys, they take the boat in, but Peter can't wait to be with Jesus. And Jesus and the disciples have this fish breakfast together. And then Jesus takes Peter aside and reinstates him for ministry. Three times, just like the denial, Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? And feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my flock. For the rest of the story, then we're into Acts, where we see Peter leading and boldly living out the calling that Jesus has placed on his life. It's Peter, the fisherman, who preaches at Pentecost, and 3,000 people come to faith in Christ that day. And then in Acts chapter 4, we again find Peter and John together, now in jail, and then in the courtroom before the Sanhedrin. And when they give their defense, it says that the officials were astonished as they listened to them defend their case, because they can see here are unschooled, ordinary men, but it says in the text they took note that they had been with Jesus. And for Peter, there would have been no higher compliment that he could have received. That's all that he ever wanted. That's why he jumped out of boats. That's why he ran to the tomb. And it's why he would give the rest of his life proclaiming the gospel. Peter, like Paul from last week, would in his life face much suffering and persecution. And Jesus had told him about this in a very interesting exchange that's captured for us in Luke 22. And it comes in Luke's account just before Jesus predicts Peter's denial. He says to him there, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. It's an ominous picture that we have there. Sifting wheat is a rough, violent action that, you know, you and I aren't really mostly accustomed to because most of us have not grown up on farms. But this is an action where the chaff is separated from the edible grain of the wheat. 
And so in Jesus' time, now we have fancy equipment that does it, but the wheat would have been laid out on a threshing floor and then beaten with a flail or trampled by oxen. That's the picture that Jesus is giving here. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. And that takes us back to where we started the series in the book of Job. There too, we have Satan coming to sift Job and test his faith. And it's Bible scholar Joel Green who draws this parallel so well. And he says, you know, in both Job and the Gospels, Satan is the accuser, one who inspires faithlessness, the one who supplies occasions for failure. Have you ever been supplied occasions for failure? Joel Green says, and who is actively resisting God's plan and resisting his people. Now, not all of our suffering is directly orchestrated by Satan, but some of it certainly is. And 30 years after these ominous words from Jesus, Peter would finish his first letter, the one we read from the beginning today, and he would say this. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Peter tells the people he's writing to, he says, resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Peter had firsthand experience in all these things. In Acts 5, for example, he's arrested again and once again before the Sanhedrin for sentencing. And then listen to these moving verses. It says, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. That doesn't describe it there, but not pretty, very painful. It says, then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And in verse 41, this is what I wanted to emphasize. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Peter took it as a compliment to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Keep in mind that not too long earlier, he couldn't even admit to knowing the name of Jesus. It's just a remarkable story of God's grace in the up and down faith of a fisherman. But whatever happened to Peter? Peter would go on in, in Acts to become one of the founding leaders of the Jerusalem church, and we see that in the book of Acts. Longer term, whereas Paul traveled all over the Mediterranean on these missionary journeys, Peter's calling was to stay closer to home. It's an equally valid calling, isn't it? Paul called him the apostle to the Jews. Paul considered himself the apostle to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And so Peter's ministry territory was really around Palestine. That's where he stayed. Peter would go on eventually to write 1st and 2nd Peter, these two letters in the Bible we have from him. And sometimes we forget, I forget, that the gospel of Mark is really the voice of Peter. And here's the connection. You have John Mark who was very closely connected to Peter and traveled around with him. And he kind of functioned like Peter's scribe. And so Peter would tell the story and John Mark would furiously write it all down. So the action-packed, more concise gospel of Mark is really the voice of Peter. Now, we don't have a biblical record of what happened to Peter at the end of his life, but the early church fathers record that he ended up in prison in Rome just like Paul, also in that time frame under Emperor Nero. 
and also like Paul that he was put to death. This would have been about 64, 65 AD. There are fairly reliable early records that also tell us about Peter's death and that it was, let's just say, typical for Peter's personality. He was always all in, all heart. And that is what we see in this story that comes to us by way of reliable tradition. When he was sentenced to death by crucifixion, so Paul was a Roman citizen, Peter was not, so he was crucified. When he received that sentencing, that he would die by crucifixion, do you know what Peter said? Peter said he did not consider himself worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord and Savior. So if they would please crucify him upside down. And that's exactly what they did. I personally just can't wait to meet Peter in heaven someday. This ordinary guy who grew up on the lake and who left it to follow Jesus, and who rejoiced in suffering for him. We started this series a few weeks ago because of a pandemic. And today on the last Sunday of the series, we've got to ask ourselves, are we in any better shape today? Is the outlook for 2020 any clearer? I think a lot of us would just say, we don't know. We don't know a whole lot right now. But we have just spent time in the unchanging truth of God's word. And that will see you through anything. The immutable character of God is where we place our hope, our trust in his sovereignty, his grace, and his love. And I don't care if I have to preach in my garage. These things are as true today as they were in 2019 and as they will be forever. And you can rest in the promises of God all year long, clinging to the cross, covered by the blood of Jesus, fully forgiven and free. We know that one day this earth will pass away and we will step into his courts with praise. On the other side of all this, one day you will be truly and forever at home with the Lord. So until then, he giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Well, on this last Sunday in the series where we've each Sunday read a different psalm, I'd actually like to take Psalm 86 and turn it into a prayer for us today. And I encourage you to do that on your own as well. So I'm going to just kind of loosely pray through these words that we read in our scripture reading together as we bow our heads and just come before the Lord in his throne of grace. Hear us, Lord. Answer us, for we are poor and needy. Guard our life, Lord, for we are faithful to you. We ask that you would save your servants who trust in you. You are our God, Lord. Have mercy on us. 
for we call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servants, Lord, for it's in you that we put our trust. You, Lord, are forgiving and good. You're abounding in love to all who call on you. And so we say, hear our prayer, Lord. Listen to our cry for mercy. When we're in distress, we call to you because you answer us. And now we join our voices together in this prayer that Jesus taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.